Hello and welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about something I don't think we've really brought up on this podcast before, but it is something that is relevant to the security of organizations. And we've kind of talked around it as an issue. We talk very frequently about breaking into organizations from the internet, and we talk very very frequently about breaking into organizations physically, as in bypassing door locks and tailgating and those kinds of things. But I don't think we've ever talked about wireless security. And from a physical access point of view, if you can get close to the target, that's one of the best ways to access an organization if you can do it in a way that is unlikely to lead to detections. And wireless security is, is one of those things where very frequently when I when I audit it for customers and we take a look at the, the setup, that there's quite often some common misconceptions around how to do it properly and how to do it without uh, causing risks to to the organization. I think one of the things when we, we look at things like uh, wireless security that people are probably aware of and probably think about is things like network segmentation, that the wireless network should be segmented from the wider corporate network so that the risk can be reduced if the wireless network has ever compromised, those kinds of things. And yeah, by the textbooks, you're absolutely right. Things like uh, network segmentation are wonderful for security and definitely something that you should consider if you're implementing things like wireless access. However, it's just really rare to see it in the real world. There's probably going to be two camps of people listening to this. There'll be those who have things like good network segmentation thinking, really, do people not do this? But if you look at any of the major malware attacks, things like NotPetya, which spread internally on corporate networks, that demonstrated for a lot of organizations that they don't have good network segmentation because it was able to make it through the network very, very quickly on those uh, common ports that allow for propagation across a network. And common ports generally for organizations are going to be things like port 445, which is file transfer, but you can also execute commands with PSExec over that port. And then ports like 3389, so things like remote desktop protocol, those kinds of things, or I guess SSH. Um, if those kind of administrative file transfer command execution ports are available, then the segmentation is ineffective and an attacker could possibly move between the two. So I guess in this episode, I just want to talk a little bit about that context. Let's talk a little bit about network segmentation. Let's talk about how I break segmentation between networks. And then talk a little bit about the wireless security, what is a pre-shared key, what is extensible authentication protocol, those kinds of things. Um, I guess I should also put some things in here about how wireless networks probably should be audited. Um, it's not uncommon for customers to say, hey, we want you to check the security of our wireless network, and then their expectation is we'll, we'll sit in the car park with an antenna uh, and try and break the security of the network. We can do that, and absolutely, if you if you want me to spend a lot of time in your car park, um, that's possible. It's probably not the best way to audit the network, though. It, it, it's also probably not the best way to to check how your corporate devices are connecting to that network to see if they've had hardening steps put in place. But before I jump into it, um, what kinds of technologies can be deployed to protect wireless networks, 802.11 networks? Um, You can have an open network, a network that does not offer network level encryption. 
that's probably a bad thing, but certainly not uncommon for things like guest access. If you have like a visitor's Wi-Fi where you just want to put them on the internet, sometimes companies have those open. You can have a pre-shared key, PSK. Uh, this is pretty common, really. It's supposed to be like a home thing for protecting your own devices, but certainly not uncommon to see corporate networks protected by PSKs. So that is a password that is shared across all devices. Or alternatively, you can use something like EAP, Extensible Authentication Protocol. Um, really, in that context, you'll you'll see a lot of different terms kind of used, some more correctly than others, but you'll talk about things like um, WPA in management mode, you'll talk about WPA in um, enterprise security mode, or you might talk about things like EAP, Extensible Authentication Protocol, or things like 802.1x, Network Access Control. Generally, when we're talking about any of these terms, we're, we're really talking about the, the same thing. We're just possibly conflating some terms or, or using some terms because they're more common than others. What we're talking about is securing wireless networks so that it isn't a pre-shared key across devices. They have something else that um, allows the device to be validated for its authentication to be checked that isn't reliant upon it being a single fixed password across all devices. Now, even if you're unfamiliar with these technologies, if you haven't personally implemented them, you're probably thinking that not having a shared key across all devices is better. And you would be right, but there's <laughs> different ways of um, of implementing this, some more secure than others. Um, also, it's probably worth pointing out, if you have not heard these terms before and you're going to do some vague uh, searching on the internet afterwards for these terms, um, things like 802.1x and extensible authentication protocol uh, can apply to different things. So you can have it in the context of network access control for physical devices as well as wireless devices. So um, uh, just be careful of that confusion. Right now, I'm, I'm just talking in the context of wireless, but essentially it, it works in the same way. So what is the risk of an open wireless network, a wireless network that doesn't offer network level encryption? I mean, there's a couple of big things. The first is you can't in any way control who connects to that network. The second is the network is not offering network layer encryption. That doesn't mean that all data sent over the network will be unencrypted because of things like transport layer security, HTTPS, those kinds of things. When you connect to certain sensitive websites, the website and the web browser might um, encrypt that connection. So it's not uh, entirely awful, but it, it does mean you can't essentially control who is, who is connecting to the network. Now, if you just have a visitor network or a guest network, you might not think that's a problem. You might have also seen a lot of contexts where companies have open networks. So you might think of you know, the local cafe, or you might think of something like, hey, hotels very frequently just have um, open networks, and it, and it doesn't con consider, uh, they don't consider it a, a security risk, and, and that's fine. And you you can have, you know, networks where you're balancing the risk versus the convenience to users and there's, there's more to life than just, you know, security. But one of the one of the things here where, where it generally becomes uh, an issue to organizations is where that wireless network is not as segmented as they think it is. And I see this a lot for organizations and especially where an organization wants to talk uh, wants to start the discussion about their, their wireless security from the point of view of a network diagram. So they'll come out and they'll say, hey, this open wireless network that we have, it routes out separately, it has its own internet pipe, or the, the firewall is set to send all data out of a, a separate connection so that you cannot in any way jump across to the corporate network. It's either physically separate kit or there's some, you know, 
segmentation set up logically and, and they think they're pointing at a network diagram and they're like, look, there's nothing that you can do here. This is secure. And one of the biggest risks that we find for these networks is really simple as a network segmentation bypass. And it's really, really common. And I'm yet to see many companies consider it as a risk when they do their auditing. And I am definitely yet to see anybody have any kind of automated setup to see if this is the case. Um, but imagine if you have staff members who are given laptops and those laptops physically cable into the corporate network. So commonly this would be something like a docking station. They get to the desk, they plug into the docking station. That's it, they're on the corporate network. Uh, but those machines have a wireless card and that wireless card is connected to the guest Wi-Fi because it's connected to the guest Wi-Fi before and it's the strongest signal. Or maybe you don't have a corporate wireless, you just use physical cables and have a guest wireless. Um, those devices are now multi-homed and they're connecting between both networks. So once you can point at a network diagram and say there's no logical connection here, there's nothing you can do, well, I could compromise that device. I'm not saying that's immediately possible or it's always possible, but I mean, hopefully you can see that this is a way around that air gap, right? So I joined the guest network, especially if it's an open network, there's no encryption preventing me just connecting to it. And then I perform common attacks on that network that can lead to code execution. Things we've talked on this podcast about before, things like um, link local multicast name resolution spoofing, those kinds of things. Really good vulnerability, probably pair it with something like SMB Relay, going to build up to code execution on that device. I compromise that one device and then I can move from the guest Wi-Fi to the corporate Wi-Fi. So that's a big problem. It's a really, really common risk and it's one that a lot of companies haven't considered. So I guess that's uh, number one for my wireless security checklist is um, work out if that is possible in your organization. And if it is, either set up a technical restriction so that it's no longer possible or at least have some kind of audit taking place so you can see when those um, connections are coming through. That's a very common way for me to jump between a guest Wi-Fi and a corporate Wi-Fi. It's not the only way. And it's not likely to be the only device that is um, multi-homed. It could be things like uh, the gateway. It could be things like the DHCP server that are multi-homed. Um, those are just as common, but less likely to be compromised. You know, a, a gateway probably has less services exposed. It's probably less likely to be at risk of things like a user password being um, short, but it's it's the same kind of thing, right? Multi-homed devices, that, that's a risk. If you have something like a, a web proxy, and the web proxy is controlling traffic from the, the visitor wireless to uh, the internet. Maybe you're doing some kind of filtering there, worrying about uh, data loss prevention, those kinds of things. Can I ask that web proxy to request internal IP addresses? And if I can, the risk is probably quite low because I can probably only access um, internal web interfaces through the web proxy. But I'm definitely going to try and target things like the internal interface for the firewall through that web proxy and see if that's possible. Again, lower commonality, but but definitely a significant risk there. It's definitely um, something to worry about. So open wireless networks, bad because you can't control who can connect to them. And that segmentation might not be as good as you think it is. Um, so multi-home devices. Second thing, pre-shared keys, PSKs, where devices are configured with the, the same password. Very often when I, when I talk to companies about this kind of risk, one of the things to take away is um, we can crack PSKs. The way that this works, if you've never seen it technically, is if we capture a handshake, that is a device um, associating with the network, authenticating to the network, uh, if we capture those packets, the ePoll packets, uh, we can take those off-site and perform an offline brute force attack uh, against those. Generally, the, the counterpoint 
uh, companies come up with uh, when we say that we can crack PSKs is, oh, the password is incredibly long, incredibly random, incredibly non-deterministic, those kinds of things. So even if you take it to its logical extreme, if you say we have a 63 character password that is completely random, um, that doesn't make that risk go away. And there's a couple of different ways that this risk can be realized. If I could gain access to a laptop, I can possibly pull the PSK from that laptop. Um, so this could be a stolen device. It could be a device compromised through phishing or something like that. Um, or it could just be a staff member pulling the password off uh, and, and then sharing it in ways that you, you didn't allow. But if that password ever gets out in some way, or, I mean, to be honest, maybe just I work at your company, I find out what the wireless key is, um, and then I no longer work at that company either because I quit or you fire me. Um, if that PSK isn't changed when that staff member leaves or isn't changed when that device is stolen or isn't changed when that account is compromised, um, that that's a risk. So the, the management side of PSK is as much of a risk as the idea of password cracking is. Um, so it's a thing to consider. I, I couldn't recommend uh, PSK at all for corporate networks where um, staff turnover is an issue, the risk of um, stolen devices is an issue, anything like that, because EAP exists, and we'll talk about EAP in a second, and generally from the management point of view, just massively reduces that risk of um, shared keys. But I said that we can crack hashes, and, and that's true. I think one of the things there is the speed at which we can crack hashes is probably faster than than you think it is. Because technology is awesome, technology gets better. So I think one of the things here might be, certainly if you've tried this kind of thing before, maybe you've downloaded a common tool like Kali Linux, or you downloaded something like the Aircrack Suite, you've captured a handshake yourself and you've taken a look at, oh, how quick can I, you know, crack this hash on my, my laptop? I, when I travel, I carry with me a, a tiny little Lenovo ThinkPad that has like an i3 in it and I can crack hashes on it but it's incredibly slow I think I can crack something like 300 hashes a second on my little i3 if I'm running a Kali VM it's very 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 slow so you might take that as a level of risk and you might say yes we acknowledge that somebody can capture these hashes and they can try a few hundred hashes a second and you know if our password is long enough random enough then they're, they're never going to crack it um, I think the thing there is how password cracking really works and the speed that we can really get on those hashes. Because if I'm trying to break into a network, I'm not running that hash on my little i3 Lenovo. I'm running on, on something with GPUs in it. So first of all, when we do a brute force attack, pretty much against any password, it's very unlikely that we're going to do a full key space brute force. That would be start at the letter A and work our way up to the letter Z with all symbols, numbers, and things like that considered and try every permutation of every possible password. It's probably not what we're going to do, because that's not how users and companies pick passwords. Passwords are very often contextual. So for wireless keys, it's not uncommon to find the key to be something like the name of the building, you know, uh, the postcode for the organization, something like that, or based around the company name. Those aren't uncommon. And for user passwords, everybody hopefully knows that things like Summer 2020 and Welcome123 are very, very common. Um, users pick passwords based on patterns very, very frequently. So I'm possibly going to start there. Um, even if you think of things like um, home wireless networks, uh, I, I recently checked out a, a series of kind of consumer devices for um, how their default wireless key is set. Um, I found one manufacturer to have uh, the default key to be eight digits. I found another another manufacturer for the default key to be 
eight characters where it was just digits and just uppercase. Um, whilst those are random, the length is fixed. There were both eight characters and the key space is reduced. They were either digits or um, reduced alphanums. Um, so uppers and numbers. In that case, you know, I'm not trying every possible combination. I'm trying it based on likelihood. Or I'm trying it based on some fixed pattern. So that's a thing to bear in mind. You know, we're not going to start and do a full key, uh, full key space brute force if we don't need to. And secondly, how quickly can we actually crack these hashes? Well, GPUs exist and GPUs are really, really good at things like hash cracking. And I think everyone knows in the back of their mind that it, you know, it is possible for uh, a determined attacker to get a series of, you know, some really good graphics cards and stick them in a device and, you know, um, crack hashes with these things. And, and maybe your um, risk is modified based on this. You know, how likely is it somebody will get, a, you know, eight GPUs into a machine and try and specifically crack out a hash? And how much would that cost them? You know, is an attacker likely to spend the six or seven thousand pounds, however much these machines would cost for whatever you think the benchmark is? Probably unlikely for most organizations. I definitely think there's a series of organizations out there where, you know what, attackers might do that. If you're particularly high profile enough, dropping that kind of money is, you know, not a big deal if it's going to give us access and it's going to allow us to monetize that attack. You know, malicious... Uh, you know, real-world attackers might consider those things. Um, that's the thing to bear in mind. But also, uh, we don't have to do that because cloud computing exists. So even if I'm just doing an audit of a network or if I just, on the malicious side of things and I just really, really wanted to gain access to a specific company, I don't need to go out and buy a whole load of GPUs because, you know, there's services like Azure and the services like AWS and they have computing capability just available. So you could take a look at AWS. They have the Tesla GPUs available in their GPU-optimized um, instances on EC2, and you can just pay per hour. So I took a look at a couple of the prices. Um, you know, a G3S, one, one GPU in there, it's going to cost you something like um, 75 cents uh, per hour, right up to the, the P3 instances. Those things are going to cost you something like $24 per hour. How many hashes can they crack? So my my little laptop's pushing a few hundred hashes per second. Well, um, those GPU instances can can get serious speeds out. So for something like um, WPA ePulse, if we're still keeping this in the context of, of wireless networks, um, 6.5 million hashes a second. Yeah, that's like really quick. Um, okay, so they're $25 per hour, but if you're doing 6.5 million hashes a second for wireless keys, you're going to get through a lot of hashes in an hour. And if you're not doing a full key space, or if it's a fixed character length, you know, it's an eight-character password, something like that, um, or it's based on something contextual to the business, you're going to get through that word list, whatever it is that you're using, very, very quickly with those kinds of um, hash speeds. So I think this is the one of the things that affects this kind of wireless conversation. People think, yes, you can crack WPA, but, you know, it's infeasible given a suitably random password. Maybe attackers can get through faster than you think. Um, also, because it's cloud computing, um, I can just spin up more of these instances. So instead of paying $25 an hour, maybe I'll throw $100 at it and spend one hour, but have four instances and get huge figures out. You know, do 25 million hashes a second, something like that.
or just spend more time at it. You know, we're talking for one hour of usage getting 6.5 million hashes out. Maybe I'll just run it for a couple of days. Um, so yeah, I don't need to go out and spend thousands and thousands of pounds on a GPU rig. I can borrow one from a cloud. So what else can we do and what other risks exist? Well, I mentioned enterprise security previously. This is this extensible authentication protocol thing. There's a whole family of protocols um, behind that. So you'll see things like um, EAPMD5, which is deprecated and hasn't been used since Vista, I think. Um, obvious weaknesses there, MD5, but th those aren't really ever seen. And there's there's a lot of EAP protocols, but what which do we see commonly? We're going to see things like um, PEEP using MSCHAP. So that is uh, wireless networks where you authenticate using Active Directory credentials. And we're going to probably see things like um, EAPTLS, where the connection is is protected from a server certificate. There's also EAPTTLS, where the uh, client device mutually authenticates, so the client device has a client certificate as well. The, these are most common. Um, in, in my experience, MSCHAP is the most common way you log in with domain creds. Now, if you're authenticating to the network using uh, the machine account, and you're logging into a network where the network certificate is validated, specified to your internal root CA. The user isn't allowed a prompt to click through of the certificate error or something like that. If you've gone through all of the PEEP properties in, you know, group policy or something like that, and you've hardened all of those configurations, then that can be a secure setup. There's still a few risks around it with evil twins that I'll get to in a second. Um, but, you know, that can be a, a pretty secure setup. Um, machine passwords, users don't generally know them. They're, they're long, they're random, they can be changed frequently. And, um, yeah, that's that's going to lead to a pretty secure network. Not talking about network segmentation and things right now, but as a perimeter security, that's going to be pretty good. The thing is, how do we actually see a lot of um, PEEP networks set up? People logging into the wireless network with things like their domain user account. So that means the... The network, the perimeter security is as secure as, well, the weakest domain user password. And domain users don't tend to use good passwords. I mean, hopefully I don't need to, to point that out. From that point of view, could we possibly build up to something like, um, you know, capturing a net NTLM hash, you know, possibly through an evil twin? I'll, I'll get to that. But you know, can we can we capture a user hash and then crack them on that cloud cracker that we talked about a second ago? You know, maybe we could. But logging in with domain users where domain users can choose their own passwords and can make terrible choices like password123, that, that's going to be a risk. So it isn't just the case that you set up something like PEEP, you set up something like MSCHAP and you're done. You know, if you're not using PSK and you think, hey, we're secure, there's, there's still risk there as well. Um, the evil twin thing, just in case you, you haven't come across that, there's, there's a few variations on it, things like the karma attack. But um, one worth knowing about is the idea that um, I could set up an access point in the area of your company and depending on the hardening of your configuration, either set it to have the same name as your um, wireless network and then try and get users to connect just based on having a stronger signal strength. So disassociate them from the IP, the access point that they're connected to and then try and get them to connect to my access point because the signal strength is higher. Um, and just set up my little wireless access point so that it accepts, you know, peep authentication um, and just capture the hashes. So when they connect to my wireless network, that device tries to authenticate and I capture those hashes and then crack them using that um, cloud cracker. That's super common and likely to work. 
And reducing the risk there can be quite difficult as well, um, especially if those devices aren't configured to um, flag things like invalid certificates. I, I tried it um, recently on a just like a default configuration Windows 10 machine. What actually happens if I spin up a new network? Just in our office, set up a network called Test Network on a plain Windows 10 machine. Just try to connect to that test network to see what happens. And if it's using uh, PEEP MSCHAP, the device will prompt the user for a username and password. And if the user types the username and password, it'll send it to the network. Different configurations can allow for things like the device automatically trying to authenticate. If it's set with the same wireless name, they might automatically associate with the network. There's there's more or less risk around that. But the point being, hashes can be captured. And if those hashes can be cracked, maybe the, the wireless network there is, um, is not as secure as you thought it was. And if we get on the wireless network and there's no segmentation, then we can get through to the corporate network. So, yeah, you know what? There's, there's a lot to wireless security. We've never talked about it on this podcast before, but it's definitely something that um, companies should be considering. So, in the very least, if you're having things like um, internal corporate pen tests, then you should be considering. Maybe you should bolt on the, the wireless to the side of that and see if there's any risks there. Um, and when you consider that wireless security assessment, you know, how are you setting it up? Are you getting the um, pen testers to come in and check the build hardening? for which kind of networks your corporate laptops will connect to? Or are you making the pen tester sit in the car park and try and crack the PSK or, or, or brute force creds um, from the car park? Because, again, this is scenario-based testing, and um, you might not necessarily get the value out of that kind of assessment as you uh, would want or would um, would think. It might not highlight all risks. Yes, it would highlight the risk of if they're successful from the car park, then somebody without prior affiliation with the organization could do that. But, you know, maybe things would, would get missed. Um, consider like a, a, a full assessment of the of the wireless setup and try things like the evil twin attack. Try things like, you know, Karma if you're able to um, within the regulation or within the organization. Um, those are, are real world risks. And we haven't even got onto things like Crook and things like Crack and things like Dragon Blood. There are other vulnerabilities and specific implementations um, to consider as well. So, hey, you know what? Wireless security, super important, something we haven't previously considered. So there you go. Here's my very quick summary of wireless security. Um, is there something that you think I've missed? Is there some big wireless risk that we haven't talked of? Um, let us know over social media and maybe I'll do a follow-up if there's, if there's something big that I forgot to talk about. Um, and I'll also be curious as to... Um, how do your organizations um, protect against wireless attacks? You know, what's your pre-shared key? Let us know over social media and I will see you in the next podcast. <laughs>